Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is Joe Healy, and we have both made it to Omaha. Uh, we are we are here for the College World Series, of course. And uh, as uh, as we record this on Thursday, Media Day slash Practice Day is wrapping up. By the time you're listening to this on Friday, uh, we'll be we'll, we will have arrived at Game Day uh, for the the start of the College World Series. I mentioned. On the last episode, that the schedule is a little condensed. So yes, this year the the games start on Friday, not Saturday. Um, so we are we are fast approaching the start of the event that they call the greatest show on on dirt, Joe. Uh, so we're we're happy to be in Omaha, and we're excited to be in Omaha, and uh, looking forward to a great couple of weeks of of college baseball. Ready or not, Omaha, Nebraska. I, oh, so I wonder whether you might do that or this town, this city, this <laughs> town. That one uh, is not as conducive to my vocal range, to be honest okay. with you. That's I did consider the, uh, I mean, it's lower energy, so it's hard to like pull off as like a in, in the bit that I just did. But the uh, Omaha, somewhere in middle America, which is, is it, oh, um, ah, there's another one. Cause that that's Bruce, right? That no, that's, that's the counting crows. Oh, that's counting crows. That, that was the one mm-hmm. I was trying to think of was, was counting crows. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it's not quite the vibe. That one doesn't get played as much at the CWS. You hear a lot of the other previously mentioned songs here. Uh, the counting crows one does get played, just played, a, played a little less. It's not quite the, the party vibe you're looking for necessarily. It's frankly the best of the, the bunch. Like I, no disrespect to OAR, which like ESPN commissioned to write this town for this event. And like, OAR had good songs back in the day. Um, shout out to the Ohio band, but like I, I disrespect to the pursuit. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, that song was a contrivance too. I think, I think I read up on that one time that that was kind of, I don't know who commissioned it or what it was for, but it was, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is very overtly written about the college world series. So like, I, I assume someone was involved in saying, Hey, bowling for soup, would you like to make a quick buck? Here's a here's a catchy little tune we'd like, or I guess they wrote it, but I mean like we'd like a catchy little tune, and that's what they spit out. Which I know you don't like it. I'm not saying it's a good song. I just I do kind of like that song because I I think it probably has some sort of emotional appeal to me that I'm not like totally wasn't aware of until I started you know hearing it in the ballpark when I started coming to cover games at Omaha. So that's probably mostly what's happening there. But um, I think we can agree on the OAR song. That one's just I think that's just the champion all around in terms of quality of the song and also having the right the right vibe you're looking for i mean espn has been using that as the bumper music for the college world series for legitimately i believe it's 10 years now so like that does speak to to the quality of of yeah and and you might not hear like the lyrics as much but you definitely do hear the down 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 like the little you know the the guitar there you don't you don't so you don't because sometimes yeah it's just like bumper music without the lyrics and like so yeah you you you've probably heard that more than you think even if you didn't know it was that yeah, I mean, in Arizona, as recently as 2016, like, cut a music video with it. Now, I mean, that Arizona team was into doing stuff like that, like into, um, uh, like, air guitar kind of kind of deals for, I, I right. can't think of the technical term for that, uh, <laughs> for, for, for songs. And um, ESPN got Arizona to do that in 16. But, like, as recently as that, like, they were, they were still messing around doing stuff with it uh, beyond just playing it. So, anyway, yeah. College World Series. Get ready for it. 
You're welcome. Yes, yeah. yeah, a lot of music. Uh, like yes, I, yeah, not I, a sponsor, I, but could be. That's, that's yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, theoretically, yes. In case they need to to go on a college baseball podcast and tell you to watch the College World Series, uh, I mean, I, like I'll I'll do that, Adri. That's fine. Yeah, I like the idea that someone listening is like, what? <laughs> What's this week? I do miss the com- like. I'm sure there are commercials that still run, like, because, but it's just because I watch less. You know, when we're kids, we just watch. Well, not everybody, but I anyway watched like a lot of like TV as a kid, like Sports Center on a loop in the mornings and in the evenings, and yada yada yada. I know a lot of sports kids have had a similar upbringing, so you're just like very aware of the commercials that run, and they would start running the what I call the ping commercials, like three or four weeks before the CWS, and it was just like a super cut of like a bunch of like hitters yes. hitting the ball and it's like ping 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 because it's back in the days of the real loud ping bats and um i you know i i don't i'm sure like i said i'm sure commercials run now but like i i, I do feel like that was a specific brand of commercial that i that, that i miss it really leaned into the college baseball of it all yeah i mean I, you also don't watch linear tv as much so like i feel like the commercials that you see on when you're watching on on the app versus when you're watching linearly probably yeah. a little different right yeah 100 uh all right so we're here there are eight teams here for now um by what by by the end of monday we'll have said goodbye to a couple teams so i mean the, the, this whole thing starts to happen very fast it's happening even faster this year as, as i've mentioned a couple times now they've, they've changed the format to uh condense it a little bit remove some off days and all of that is in service of getting the finals to start on a weekend rather than on a Monday uh, and in hopes of drawing even more fans to the event and just making it generally easier for fans to attend. Uh, and while in theory, like I like that for the fans and I hope everyone who does get to attend enjoys that aspect of it. Like I, I don't love the, the way that this breaks for me at least. And I, I'll be interested to see how players feel about it, how coaches feel about it, how they manage slightly differently because they have removed some off days uh, to make it happen. Uh, and for that matter, um, Joe, I, I just realized this yesterday. There's a chance the College World Series ends on Sunday afternoon, not even Sunday night, but the, the second game of the finals is scheduled for like two o'clock Eastern on Sunday. I did not realize that either. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, that would be, that'd be a real throwback to back when the championship back in the old days before it was a pre 2003, this 2003 was the start of the best of three championship, you know, pre 2003, it was a single championship game, which of course we don't need to fully relitigate, but you know, the team could lose once in the championship game to a team that had already lost. And they, you know, the team that won that game was the champion. Anyway, that used to be on the afternoons on CBS. And so it was, that will be a little bit of a, a throwback if we if it does end end that way um i yeah that that's Three i'm just getting this news right now excuse me still i mean yeah two o'clock local out here yes. so yeah that, it, it was too local was the, the time yeah that's that's interesting like i i really did not know that i i generally kind of i think most people i talk to now i've not talked to a lot of coaches about this so i think that's probably part of the difference here but most people i talk to um have positive things generally to say about the, this format. And I think it's just because there's less kind of like dead time. You know, we, we've gotten rid of the, the days where it's just one game at six o'clock 
And we've gotten rid of the if necessary, the full if necessary day where it's like we could have zero games, one game or two game. And it all depends on on how it now, plays out. I think that is still here. What they did do away with is the, the one games, but the, the full if necessary day does. Is that am I reading it wrong? I must be reading it wrong. I, I think that that exists on Friday. I just kind of show up to the park and like, well, you know, I mean, like, 100 percent. Yes, that is what we do. <laughs> Whatever two teams they put in front of me, it's like, OK, here we go. Like uh, they could try to sneak somebody else in here. Like they could put East Carolina in the field and I'd be like, okay, well, I guess, I guess they must've earned it somehow. Like, okay. You know, the the one question I have about the condensing of this format is what it's going to mean. If slash when it rains, um, you know, the, the other format, like the previous format with those single game days in the middle of the, the first week, the elimination games being solo events did give them a buffer. If, rain really messed with the schedule uh it made it easy to move games around they just lost the ability to do that in many respects so i will be curious to see and like right now the weather just looks to be hot it doesn't look to be like a particularly stormy uh cws but you know knock on wood on that you know we'll, we'll just have to see but at some point that's going to come to bear whether that's this year next year or two years down the line, they're going to have to, to deal with that. And I'll, I'll just be curious to see how, how that plays out. But I mean, obviously that that's something that they've thought about it and worked through and decided it's worth the risk or whatever. I did a, you, you're correct. Not that I doubted it, but you are correct. The Thursday is a full, like, you know, if necessary day where we can um, have Friday, zero, one or two Friday's games. the off day. Friday's a schedule off day. So we yeah. could also theoretically have two days of just no games, which like, I don't, I, you know, like that. I mean, that was that true be, in the old format too. There's no way around that as long as we're playing double elimination and yeah. want to give teams a day up between the, the end of the brackets and the start of the finals. Yeah. So yeah, some, um, yeah, it does present different, present a different set of circumstances. I've, well, like I said, most of the feedback I've gotten has been pretty positive, but we're ultimately, that's the thing about when you try to do this kind of stuff is that you don't really know what the, you can kind of foresee some of the consequences of it, but you can't fully foresee that until you just try it and so that's that's where we are i do think that this will test depth a little bit more and teams that are relying on like one reliever like it does it does test them in a different way so uh for t- folks out there that like more complete teams winning it or whatever uh, you know more depth on the mound to to win the world series like i i do think that this is going to force that a little bit more. But again, we'll see how that plays out, not just this year, but but in years to come, because one year is not necessarily going to be enough to uh, to really see how, how that affects things. Uh, okay, so the field, um, case, uh, case you haven't, haven't gotten it by now, uh, in the one bracket, you've got Notre Dame in Texas. Uh, that is as the night game on Friday. The first game is Texas A&M in Oklahoma. Uh, the other bracket starts with Stanford and Arkansas on Saturday. Ole Miss and Auburn is the night game. Those are four current SEC schools and two future SEC schools. Uh, they are all major conference schools. You know, they're all coming from uh, four conferences, one from the PAC, one from the ACC, two from the Big 12, future SEC, and four from the SEC. Um, This is all just part of a continuing trend that the SEC puts multiple teams, usually as many as three or four, in the Omaha field. 
there hasn't been a mid-major here since 2017 and it was Fullerton that year and so you can like consider Fullerton whatever you want like in some respects we haven't had like a true like new mid-major since since Coastal won in 2016 an event that many people said was going to show that like mid-majors could still win in college baseball and, and, and show mid-majors across the country that with some investment like Coastal made that could be you and instead what we've gotten is nothing but powerhouses ever since and um it, there's nothing inherently wrong with that but i i do kind of miss and have missed for the last few years having more of a true cinderella story here right now i mean you're looking at like notre dame returning for the first time in 20 years but like and, and they're a, a northern school but look they play in the acc and they're notre dame uh, you could look at it as Ole Miss. They were one of the last four teams in the field, and now look at them. But like, look, they're all Miss. Um, you know, I, th there just isn't really a, a team you could make truly make that Cinderella case for for me. Yeah, the, the uh, as they always are, Notre Dame, America's sweetheart, and a plucky underdog. That's just yeah. the role they play. And, and both uh, of those teams, agrees. by the way, ranked number one in the Baseball America Top Twenty Five at various times this season and look i mean you can say that we were wrong when we did it but i don't know you're there in omaha so maybe yeah. we were right yeah yeah well look i mean obviously i'm not i'm not going to disagree with the idea that you that i that uh, of missing some variety here and just kind of the um the, the true underdog team here um and i think some of it is so i think there's kind of two tracks here one is that i do think it is just um, a fluke is not quite the right word, but just kind of circumstantial that we haven't had one in a while. It doesn't mean that it's never going to happen again. Like, yes. Okay. Maybe we had a run of them there for a while, you know, Stony Brook and Kent on the same year, uh, certainly was, was fluky, but you know, we, we had, you know, uh, Santa Barbara getting there that the one time that obviously coastal broke through and won it all. Like we just had a real run there for a while. And so that was probably just circumstantial on the other end. And, and we, you know, are kind of as, as people are wont to do, you kind of just take that and run with it and think that it's the start of something specific and maybe it's, it's not any of that, but so I do think there is that setting that aside though. I, I do think I hear this from people all over college baseball, that the gulf that very much exists between this and this, this designation does not apply to baseball, but it, it kind of gets carried over the difference between power five and you can throw the big 10 out for baseball if you want to, but the point is the gulf that exists between the power five and everybody else in college baseball has only increased and been magnified. And I don't just mean, obviously that matters in terms of things like television money, like the revenue that trickles down to baseball, even if baseball is, is, is further down the totem pole than football and, and basketball and, and, and some other sports and other, in some cases, like just what is still trickling down in, in those conferences is still so much greater than what trickles down to baseball in other conferences. It's just several orders of magnitude greater. And you see that expressed in the fact. So when, when people ask me um, kind of why, why that is, or, you know, how that, how, how we kind of arrived here where some of these mid-major powers that used to be have gotten here, it's just like, well, the, everyone in the power five is committed to baseball now, but you almost can't not be committed to baseball because you're getting resources, you know, as, as this money trickles down, as these resources trickle down. Um, so that's part of it. I also, I also just think that's where the 
talent is going. Like I, I think, and that's part of what I mean when the, I see the gulf has has widened between Power Five and not. Is I hear I hear anecdotal stories all the time about a good mid major program missing out on a player because they wanted to go to a Power Five school. So instead, they go to kind of an also ran Power Five school that is going to win less than the quote mid major school they were going to go to or were being pursued by. But because they want to go to a Power Five school, they go to the Power Five school. And that's all anecdotal, and I don't want to turn that into more than it is, but I hear it enough that I know it's definitely a thing that's out there. And so you add all that up, and I think that's what you get. You combine, yes, probably just some fluky stuff happening in the data, but also I just do think this is a reality that thanks largely to football, uh, the, the, the rich are getting richer and everything else is kind of staying stagnant, uh, largely thanks to the money that is trickling down from TV rights and, and things of of that nature. Um, I think this is kind of the ripple effects of what we're seeing there. Um, you know, even if I can't point to a single, you know, because we, <laughs> we don't exactly know, I can't point to a single program and tell you that, Hey, you know, 15 years ago, this, you know, th- this program wouldn't have been able to get here, but now because of the current climate, they're here. I can't be that specific about it, but it, it is a thing that's happening in the background. Yeah. And all, all of this stuff is, is so tricky. Like what a budgets mean, like, better coaching, you know, you can, you can pay your assistants more, like you can build nicer facilities and these things matter in recruiting, which leads to better players. And, um, you know, they also matter in development because if you have better coaches, you'll develop the player better and, and, and all the rest of it. But it, I mean, it is, it is all very squishy. It's hard to just pinpoint like, well, this is happening because of X. Um, at some point though, like the the saying in journalism is like three is a trend and this is now three years without one four um or, or four years w- w- without one five if you want to count uh 2017 because fullerton and their many national titles like don't count as a mid-major for you and um that would all that would be fair i feel like to say but in uh I don't think it's a positive development, I will say. Like, I, I think that you can make the argument that it is because like you're rewarding teams that are invested the most and that those teams should be the teams representing college baseball in its biggest stage. And there's merit to that. But we're also talking about, you know, the power five is like 60 schools that play baseball, give or take. Like, it's more like 65, whatever it is. There are 300 schools playing division one baseball. And, you know, so you're excluding 240 of them from this thing um, annually. And like I, a lot of them start the year knowing they're probably not going to Omaha unless the most special year in their program's history happened. Like I do get that, but uh, it, it just doesn't seem like this is good because why do kids want to go to the power five? Like, because they see those programs on TV all the time and they want to be a part of that. And so like, this is just reinforcing that cycle. And at some point like that, that cycle just becomes impossible to break. I don't think we're too far along to break it yet. I I think you're right, Joe, that that it could still happen. And uh, we would have to reckon with like, well, what is the American if, uh, if East Carolina got here or, and, and like a conference USA team wasn't terribly far away this year. I mean, they certainly could have broken through last year and they didn't, but um, it, it, it just doesn't, 
this isn't a sport that needs Cinderella's. Like, I don't think, but it doesn't hurt to have Stony Brook or Kent State or Santa Barbara show up in Omaha every once in a while. You know, I, I think that only helps things that a school like that is here. Yeah. And I think you can, I think you could look at it a couple of ways too. I think it's, it's easy to make the argument that, Hey, you know, we shouldn't worry too much about it because look how close we were, right? East Carolina was in, and again, it's like East Carolina is very much a program like on the line of what we can, would consider, but you know, because they're not in a power five conference for this conversation, that's where you classify them. But they were one win away and, you know, Southern Miss hosted a super and all this stuff. But, and that's true that I'm not dismissing that, that, that is a, a solid counter argument to make here, but I will say, especially in the case of like a Southern Miss, like it was very clear. I mean, Ole Miss wasn't hosting because they didn't play well enough in the middle of the season. That That's just true. But when those two teams got on the field together, I mean, Southern Miss is a team that has been in the top, top 25 most of the season was inside the top 15 for a lot of the second half of the season um, and was solidly there the whole time. Nobody really doubted the talent. Like we, we were just felt, we felt really good about them. They weren't, there are teams that rank and get pushed up. I mean, Gonzaga was a little like this and we talked about it. Like they kind of kept getting moved up and we were always just kind of like, ah, but it's hard to really get a read. We, but with Southern Miss, we really didn't have those kind of doubts, but I say all that to say they get into a super regional against Ole Miss and sure, like maybe they just didn't play their best ball, but also like Ole Miss was playing well and Southern Miss didn't have anything for them. Ole Miss's pitchers shut them out. Ole Miss's batters didn't put up a run bonanza and especially in game two necessarily, but like their offense was effective against good pitchers who have future professional careers ahead of them. And you could just see, it was just, it felt like to me, and I didn't watch every second of that super obviously, but it felt like you could see the difference there. I look at a team like Gonzaga to use Gonzaga as an example. Now I didn't get to see them play against Virginia tech frustratingly in the Blacksburg regional because of the way that played out. But that was a team again, you know, top 15, top 20 all year, pushing the top 10 at various points. And then they got into a regional and it like when Gabriel Hughes didn't pitch well and Will Kempner didn't pitch well, it was like, okay, well, this is kind of over. And Power five teams, like, yes, there are one-sided power five teams. We have a whole bunch of them in Omaha, <laughs> like teams that are have flaws. But they just have so many more outlets to win games. And I think you so you saw in the postseason, the best that mid-majors had to offer, like in the end, when they came up against teams that were just simply more talented than they, they were more talented than they were, like they just didn't have anything for them. And so I, I think that's just kind of telling like i think it could still happen I, I don't mean to be doom and gloom about this it can absolutely still happen but the baseball tournament is pretty much just like the basketball tournament right i mean you still get butler in a title game we still get loyola chicago in a final four um but those teams don't typically win the national title they can get pretty doggone close so baseball is more like that versus well i think what we thought it might be if you go back six seven years kind of at the boom of all these mid-majors kind of crashing omaha which is, I think we started to kind of convince ourselves, myself included, that baseball was this unicorn where absolutely any good team can win the national title. And maybe I'm building a straw man argument and no one actually thought that, but that's kind of what the feeling was. And, you know, any team can get to Omaha, but getting to Omaha and then winning a national title is a whole different deal. And then getting to Omaha is, of course, like so hard to do. Every coach at the press conference today said exactly that. It's just really hard to get here. But that's no different than getting to a Final Four getting to an elite eight in basketball, uh, college baseball is not 
special in the way it's able to push mid-majors to the biggest stages. Um, but it's certainly not football, right? Where like I don't know. I'm starting to wonder if it is football. Like Cincinnati broke through this year, and that was like the big thing that nobody had broken through to the playoff yet. Cincinnati did it. Um, Cincinnati is on its way to the Big 12, is a massive state university in Ohio. Like um, that feels like closer to what the next mid-major breakthrough in baseball is going to be. And now, like I say that, and, and then watch next year. Um, you know, some Valley team breakthrough and, and show up here. But like, I don't know, it just feels like the next mid-major in, in air quotes that, that gets to Omaha is either going to be like an American team or a big West team that like we look at and say, well, like, okay, but like, really this is in baseball. These are like high, high mid-major type of programs, or it's going to be like Southern Miss or DBU that's been, knocking on the door for so long like it and that just feels more like football to me maybe that's like basketball maybe that's just where i'm at mentally but um well it's i mean part of the problem with the comparison too right is that it's more like basketball in that you can just straight up earn your way into it right like campbell wins a big south tournament they can't be denied whereas in football it's it's a total committee structure and so like you're just as, as, as lower level teams, you're just never going to get a bite at the apple. Whereas in baseball, you by rule have to give those schools a chance to do it. So I think that's, it's, that's what makes it a hard comparison. That's true. And, um, you know, we've had plenty of teams show up in super regionals and just get outplayed or whatever, but that doesn't mean that somebody isn't going to turn a magical two weekends. But I, I, I do think there's a lot to be said for the fact that you have to win five games to get here. And, most of those games that you're going to play if you're a mid-major are going to be against major conference schools. Like you're probably only going to get to play one other mid-major like that. that that's probably the reality. Uh, if that you're, so you got to be these powerhouse schools five times over the course of two weekends to get to Omaha. That's, that's asking a lot. And I think that's what we've seen play out over the last, last four or five years now. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Joe, um, the another big talking point of of this week has been how open this field is, or trying to pin down who a favorite might be. And I got to tell you, I don't, I don't think there is a favorite. Like, it, I, I suppose, that like in a literal sense, somebody is the favorite here. Um, but I don't, I don't see a favorite if I look at this field really. No, I don't, I don't either. And I think that's obviously that's fun. Like any of these eight teams winning the trophy in the end, um, there's going to be no shock here. Every, every year you go into Omaha and you're kind of like, even if there's not a mid-major, right? Like you go into Omaha the year that Kent State and Stony Brook were there and you're like, I would be shocked if those teams won the, you know, won the national title. But even in, even in years with, with, with major conference teams, right? Like the year Washington was in Omaha. It's like, I would be shocked if that team won the national title or even good major teams last year with Stanford. It was kind of like maybe shocked is too strong, but with the way they were pitching last year, I, you know, I would probably have been very surprised if not shocked, if they'd won the national title. I don't really feel that way about any of these eight teams. And part of that is because we don't have juggernauts necessarily. We have questions about all eight of these teams. Like we could have very, real conversations about faults or weaknesses with these eight teams. So I think that's part of the conversation here. Um, 
So I, I'm kind of leaning into it. I'm really enjoying the fact that we're not going in here trying to find ways in which, you know, Tennessee had they gotten here or whomever, uh, you know, how you trip up that kind of team. But it does create a situation where, <laughs> as you alluded to, I'm being asked a lot <laughs> about like who the favorite is going to be or who should be considered the favorite. And, you know, I, I again, I think you can make an argument for a lot of teams, but um, that, that does seem to be kind of a, it's funny how as, as consumers, we just kind of want to, uh, compartmentalize things in our brains that way. Cause it is, it is certainly, uh, the biggest talking point, I think from, from at least just milling around today that, that people is on the, the top of mind is, is who, who should I actually expect to, to win this thing? And I don't think there's a good answer or a bad answer, by the way. Yeah. I mean, like there are better answers, I think than others, but like, I, I, I don't even, you know, somebody asked me on radio today to line them up one through eight. And I was like, I mean, I just don't think there's that much separation between whoever I would put at number one and whoever I would put at number eight. Like, you, I'm, I'm pretty close to saying, like, you just put all eight names in a hat. I don't think it's quite like that. I, I do think Texas and Stanford kind of stand out to me, or I really should say the winner of Texas and Notre Dame on Friday night and Stanford stand out to me. But like, look, Stanford's the highest seeded team here, but they got plenty of flaws. Their ace, Pac-12 pitcher of the year, Alex Williams, hasn't pitched particularly well in the NCAA tournament. And they, I don't think they can do this without him pitching better than he has to this point. Um, Obviously, Texas is very talented. They were the number preseason number one team for a reason. But if they lose on in game one again, like they did a week ago, like are, are they battling out of out of the losers bracket? Like I don't I don't know that they've they've got that in them. Maybe they do, but like that's what tripped them up last year is that they fell into the losers bracket and couldn't get out. Um, and I just think that's true of a lot of these teams. Uh, you know, I, I can make cases for any of them, but. Uh, if they if they fall into a loser's bracket, like I don't I don't like any of their chances. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in a, in a situation where I'm trying to look at when the best version of these teams was on the field this season, whenever that was. What did I like there, right? And so, you know, you can easily look at Texas in that way. Started eleven and zero, beat Tennessee to start their time at the the tournament in Houston. Um, you know, when that team has really been cooking that, you know, they have been, they, they played as well as anybody outside of Tennessee has played this season. And yes, you can start to say, well, you know, but also not quite the same team. And it's like, well, true, but you know, in the 11 and 0 start, it's not like Tanner Witt had pitched in half of those games. So I get that. Like, yes, they are not as strong as they were theoretically the first few weeks of the season, but like they had a lot going for them before they lost Tanner Witt and have most of those pieces still, right? Like, I don't think also, anybody- you know who the has the best ERA on that team? It's Lucas Gordon, Tanner Witt's replacement. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, he's, he's I, obviously really there are like trickle-down effects from that, but like the direct one-for-one replacement has been amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and you never know too, like Lucas Gordon is, is a guy really got pushed into that role and, you know, maybe, maybe he's a guy that ends up getting brought along slowly and maybe they don't know, end up knowing exactly what they have if he doesn't get pushed in that role. So like you, you can kind of look at that in a couple of, of different ways, but the other team you talked about there is I think Stanford and when they've been at their best, I mean, they can maul you offensively. And, and some of the guys, like I said, on, on one of these episodes we've recorded, which are all becoming a blur, 
the offense has gotten better, right? Remember back when Brock Jones was struggling, <laughs> you know, question mark. I do. Like those days seem like years ago. Remember when like, Tommy Troy was hitting like 180? Yeah. Or when Drew Bowser was not hitting. Like Drew Bowser has like 10 home runs in the last 15 minutes or something. Like so the guys that were just like we were waiting and waiting and waiting and meanwhile like carter graham and brett barrera and you know whoever else out there was was really carrying the load waiting for those guys to come along and like ta-da they're here and now as time has gone on you know we've, we've talked a lot about stanford's pitching as time has gone on like that has been a little bit of an adventure so there is that but like i said when when that team is playing at its best version of itself like that team has been really overwhelming too so the two teams you kind of pointed out there early i think is right for, for anybody else it really kind of depends on how you value how they've been playing right like notre dame just had a really emotional super regional series winning against tennessee is that a springboard or is that an emotional letdown oklahoma has been playing really well like does that magic run out or they keep it going? Like you start to have to turn to like ethereal stuff like that. Once you, once you get past that, because that's, that's really what we're trying, trying to do here with a bunch of teams that we're struggling to separate. What if Ole Miss just doesn't lose another game? Like what, what, if, that? what if they can't lose? That would guarantee that Southern Miss would win the national title next year, because that's just the streak, you know, <laughs> teams in the state of Mississippi or Jackson state. Why not? So a different, different Mississippi team out there. Mississippi Valley state. Yeah, there you go. New head coach, new new direction in that program. Yeah, I mean, so like, I don't see a favorite here. If uh, if you see a favorite, like that's fine, because uh, I think you can make a case for any of them. But I, I just think that all eight of these teams are, are pretty well matched, and hopefully that means that the first weekend here is uh, is is really good baseball. Um, but I do also think that puts a lot of weight on these first two days uh, because advancing out of the bracket uh if you don't win game one it just becomes so much harder i don't have the numbers in front of me but i when when oregon state did it in 2018 like i, I remember seeing the numbers and they were quite terrible uh so it it, it would behoove everyone uh to to get off to a, a strong start here on, on friday and saturday and, uh, we're going to get into those games here uh on a more granular level granular level there it is uh in a second but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's uh, let's dive into this field here, and let's start on Friday afternoon. We have Oklahoma against Texas A&M that happens at two o'clock Eastern. Um, this is an interesting one, as you have Oklahoma coming in very hot, as as you mentioned, Joe. They've uh, they've run off a bunch of wins here over the last you know, at least the last month, certainly, but but. It goes back longer ago than that, but certainly over the last month, you know, going down to Lubbock and, and winning a series at the end of the regular season, then winning the Big 12 tournament, and then winning a regional at Gainesville and going down to Blacksburg and, and winning a super regional there. They are coming in uh, with with uh, plenty of momentum with uh, one of the better aces in, in Jake Bennett. And they're coming up against an AM team that just has been really solid for the last few months. They win the SEC West. Uh, they kind of blow, breeze through both regionals and super regionals. Uh, you know, Louisville certainly pushed them last weekend, but but AM did sweep that. And uh, now they're they're here in Omaha for the first time under Jim Schlossnagel. And they're they're coming up against uh, an opponent with with plenty of momentum and, and probably the best team that they've played since the end of the SEC tournament. Sorry, Louisville. Um I, I think this is a great way to get the, the whole thing started. Yeah, no doubt that we talked about in the super regional fun factor games. And this one, this one strikes me as, as being that it feels, you know, um, I think a key in this one, it feels like it for, for Oklahoma is kind of getting into the game and, and kind of um, trying to take it to A&M early. I think that'll be a positive for Jake Bennett if he's able to settle in, because that is really the, the big advantage I think Oklahoma has here is they really do have a guy who's pitching well, who they get length from. If they can get him to really settle in, I think that's good. I also think A&M has proven to us time and again, they can win games where they have to go to the bullpen early and often use a bunch of guys. Like I get that, but you really can kind of put them in a tough spot if you can get them down early and really kind of bury them early. I think that's the kind of key there because they are probably going to score some runs on you. Yes. They're going to keep throwing a bunch of arms at you. Um, but can you put them in a diff in a deficit early that they just can't climb out of, especially with an Oklahoma offense where any offense can go cold. I get it, but what's the likelihood you're going to keep Oklahoma off the scoreboard, a majority of the innings in the game. Like I don't really love the chances of a team doing that. So it feels like if Oklahoma comes out playing really, really well here, I think that's the path forward for the Sooners and in, in what I think should be, like you said, I think should be just a really fun game between two teams that I think have to look at this being here in Omaha and being able to get off to a good start here is such an, an opportunity when you consider where these two teams came from, right? A&M in the big picture struggled so mightily last year. They completely reboot the roster in year one with Jim Schlossnagel and here they are. And over the way, had struggles during the season. Series lost to Yale, didn't look good in the early season tournament they played in in, in Frisco. 
Um, and then on the other side, Oklahoma too. I mean, they had their fair share of bumps in the road this year. We talked about them quite a bit early in the season as a team we just weren't sure about. Um, and so these two teams had to feel like, man, we this is such a big opportunity to get one step closer to winning a national title, which was not in the realm of any possibility that I, I figured going into this season and even probably as late as, you know, mid-March or what have you. Serious loss to Penn, not, not to Yale. I'm sorry, um, Penn, yes, yes. I knew that. I just said, said the wrong Ivy League school. I am interested here. Oklahoma is maybe the best running team in the field. You know, they want to run. Kendall Pettis can run. Peyton Graham can run. They, they, they have a lot of guys that are looking to get on base and run. Troy Clonch is very solid behind the plate. a has not allowed very many stolen bases this season, just 33 on the season. That's uh, like half a stolen base a game, basically. I don't know if that 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 can be a difference maker. I, I don't know if if Oklahoma can test it and and be successful. Like that feels like it would be a difference maker. I don't know if it's a difference maker if AM totally shuts Oklahoma down, though. Oklahoma does have the ability to be multiple offensively, but uh that that is something that, that I'm looking at here is is which team is is better able to to run because AM runs too, but also on, on the flip side, Jimmy Crooks. Uh, for the Sooners is, is pretty adept at, at shutting things down uh, behind the plate as well. I think just quickly, you mentioned Peyton Graham's name. I think if Oklahoma can really acquit themselves well here, I think this is a real national, I mean, you and I don't need to know anymore. Like we know what Peyton Graham is, but nationally for the casual audience, like this could be a real announcement of, of who he is on a national stage. Cause it feels like this type of season he's had, even within college baseball circles has gone a little bit under the radar. And, but every every field he's been on here in the postseason, he's been seemingly so clearly the best player on the field with the way he's been playing. And so I think this is a, a real opportunity for a lot of people to get to know just what he's about ahead of the draft. What I want to know is, is Kyler Murray going to show up in Omaha or yeah, I think I saw some tweets to that effect. Like I think he's expected now people can say things on Twitter and then like logistics don't work out, whatever. But I think the expectation is that he will be. That is uh that's cool. I know he was at the big 12 tournament. Uh, who is the A&M? like super fan that, that would, that would show here. Uh, J- Johnny football. Is that, <laughs> is he still, <laughs> is he still uh, have a lot of cachet there? Is he someone they would, they would, I, I don't know, know if that's someone they would with celebrate showing <laughs> up, you know, I, I don't know. That's uh, they're, they're an interesting one. Uh, when, when you start trying to try to define that, but uh, I would definitely welcome Kyler Murray coming. That would be, the second straight year of an active NFL quarterback in, in Omaha as, as Dak uh, was, of course, here last year for uh, for Mississippi State. So Kyler Murray even more closely associated, given that he played for Oklahoma baseball. Uh, so uh, that, that would be pretty cool if he uh, he's in the house uh, tomorrow or anytime during uh, during the tournament. All right, let's uh, let's go to the nightcap, Joe. That's Notre Dame and Texas. And for me, this is one of the best pitching matchups of maybe the pitching matchup of opening the opening round. You have John Michael Bertrand going for Notre Dame. You have Pete Hansen going for Texas. And, you know, I, I said that, you know, Texas could be considered a favorite if you're considering any of these teams a favorite. But, like, really, I think the favorite in this bracket is whoever wins this game. I, I think that, you know, both of these teams have plenty to make it through. But winning this game, obviously – puts you in a way more advantageous position. I just really like where both of these teams are at right now. And if you're Notre Dame and you can knock out Texas with Pete Hansen, 
um, you know, and then move on to a winner's bracket game, you know, neither AM nor Oklahoma is, is going to be sending an arm as good as what you just beat out at you. And, um, you know, obviously the same is true for, for Texas as well. So I, I, I think this is, I, this is the game of the, the opening round for me. I think it's a good one. I think it's also, an, I think David Pierce made this point in his um, press conference today that it's, it's a couple of lefties that are going to try to do things in a similar way. Like neither is coming, going to blow things by anybody. They're, they're both going to have to have command of their arsenal. They're going to have to be pretty fine around the strike zone, especially because both of these offenses can, can put runs on you. And so um, that is kind of an interesting thing is it's going to be who, who can execute a similar type of game plan better in the way they're going to pitch. So that is pretty, pretty fascinating. It's also, um, it, I think it'll also be a test on the Notre Dame side. I alluded to it earlier, but it's, is, is the, is that emotional win against Tennessee? There's so much going into that and credit to Notre Dame and, and link Jarrett for really leaning into it. Speaking of the press conferences link today, we were actually both sitting there when he, when he said this, that, you know, we, um, we looked at that series last weekend and, and, um, I didn't want to make too much of it, but at the same time, I wanted to be honest. And of course I'm paraphrasing here that, you know, this is the biggest series, you know, probably in, in the season in college baseball, when you, when you consider that it's, um, you know, Tennessee and everything that they've, they've been this season and, and, and us trying to, to knock them off. And, um, and I think he's, he's right. I mean, the, the, the shock waves of that have reached far beyond college baseball. It seemed like everybody was tweeting about, Notre Dame beating Tennessee last week and even people that never tweet about college baseball. So that very much did resonate and it was an emotional thing. And then, so, you know, the Notre Dame players have very much leaned into it. So is that a springboard? Um, will they be able to reset? Um, is it kind of a little bit of an emotional letdown? Um, nobody's going to, you know, everybody's going to say the right things about it, but that, that is something to watch here is, is how does Notre Dame play coming off of something like that? It'd be very easy to kind of feel like, um, it's it, hard to kind of, um, to, to come off of that and have the same level of energy and fire. Even if you want, even if you're excited to be here, you understand how big it is, all of that kind of stuff. Um, that can be sometimes a hard thing to, uh, to bounce back from in a, in a positive way. I, I also feel like this is a little bit of the Spider-Man meme with them pointing at each other. You've got two elite defenses. You've got, as David Pierce said, left-handers that are not like flamethrowing lefties, two lefties that are, you know, the crafty lefty type and uh, two very veteran offenses. Uh, Notre Dame is older than any team. Like Texas is old, but they're not, they're definitely not on Notre Dame's level in terms of age, but they're both veteran offenses. Uh, You know, I, I guess a difference, the difference, a significant difference anyway is, is the fact that one of them has Ivan Melendez. Um, you know, Notre Dame doesn't really have anything to counter that. Uh, Notre Dame might want to run a little bit more than Texas, but there, there are an awful lot of similarities between these two teams. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to beat each other at, at each other's games, really. And one other quick note here is that uh, this is not your father's Texas. Uh, they hit, you know, I'm looking at their, their stat page now. They hit 128 home runs, or they have hit 128 home runs. That, like, shatters the Texas program record, which, you know, under Augie Garrido, it was, you know, kind of a West Coast-style small ball operation, typically. And even early the early Pierce teams were a little bit of that. 
Um, but he, <laughs> the point was made today that they would break that record even if Ivan Melendez hadn't played this year. So it's not just that, like, yes, okay, you've got a guy hit 32 home runs, like you're going to break a program record. And they've got seven guys with 10 or more home runs in the lineup. You know, they've almost got, you know, Murphy Staley has almost 20 on the season. So, like, that's going to lead most teams. And it's just because he plays with Melendez that it's not. Like, there's – we talked about this on the previous episodes. Like, everyone is really kind of, I think, waking up and looking at this Texas offense and saying, like, my goodness, like, this is – an elite, elite offense. And it feels like it took a long time for everyone to look past Melendez, myself included. I'll just throw myself in there to look past Melendez and realize the depth of what Texas is working with here. I think that, um, you know, that there's still a perception that the ballpark formerly known as TD Ameritrade, now known as Charles Schwab, plays very big, that it's a pitcher's park, that you can't hit home runs here. There, I, I, break it like I, I i am i am prepared to uh, to exclusively report that there are going to be home runs hit lots of them over the next two weeks like all kinds of ballparks across the country that you thought were pitchers parks play much smaller than usual this year sunken diamond uh you know stanford hit eight home runs in one game during super regionals against uconn uh texas is setting records at dish Falk. like this is this is there is no reason to think that the Chuck is going to play any differently than, than those kinds of parks. So just because Texas has you know been more reliant on the home run or any of these teams have, have been more home run happy, like does not mean they're going to get here and suddenly have to change the way that they play. I don't think that is an advantage or disadvantage to anyone. Um, you know, whether that's a good thing or not, you know, who knows uh, in, in terms of the games. So I, I think everyone though is probably going to be happy that, uh, we don't necessarily have to celebrate every single home run over the next two weeks as if it's this precious commodity. And shouldn't we be grateful that somebody was actually strong enough to hit the ball out of TD Ameritrade? Like it, it's going to happen and they're going to be plenty of home runs. And some people probably are going to think there are too many home runs even. All right, let's move to Saturday's games. The, uh, the other bracket is going to get started uh, again to Eastern um and uh that one is arkansas and stanford this is a rematch from earlier in the season they played in week two at the uh, frisco college classic stanford won that game um we'll see if this one's any different i I think this one has a very exciting pitching matchup as well with connor nolan going against alex williams uh mentioned that williams really needs to get back on track for stanford to, to be at their best but at his best, he was the Pac-12 pitcher of the year, and Connor Nolan has been incredibly steady all season long, especially so during the NCAA tournament. So uh, expect this one – well, I shouldn't say expect this to be well-pitched because, again, Williams hasn't pitched very well of late, but this has the potential to be a very well-pitched game. It also has the potential to be a very offensive game because both of these teams can, can absolutely mash. And also, you know, less relevant to this game, although kind of because – it, it's it's Nolan and Williams on the mound, but also again, two teams that really kind of feel similar. And you can take it a step further on the mound. Like they are, these two teams are very predicated on getting something from that first guy, because after that, it's not just like question marks. It's also like very fluid. Like for Stanford, it's Quinn Matthews might start the second game. Quinn Matthews might also close the first game if they're winning. Um, you know, with Arkansas, it's Hagen Smith could start a game or he could come in and and close and Zach Morris might start a game or he might come in in relief. So 
these two teams really are looking at Nolan and Williams respectively and saying, Hey, you gotta, you gotta give us something. Cause it all starts with you. Like, and, and every, the stage is set with what those guys do in the first game. So that's in that way, they are similar offensively too. You're right. I mean, it's a couple of offenses that can really put up runs in bunches. I think advantage Stanford there. They've just been, we talked about it a minute or a little while ago. I mean, is it, this team has been offensively at times lately, just otherworldly in the way that it continued over the weekend against, okay. Yes. You know, UConn, of the 16 teams that were in supers, one of the weakest, if not the weakest, but still. No, no, I was told that pitch and staff was elite. That's, <laughs> it's certainly, uh, you know, the, the numbers suggested that they, uh, the numbers suggested that they were, and Austin Peterson, uh, you know, stuff-wise is, is certainly in that in that mix. But it is UConn, um, but still, Stanford hit a bunch of home runs and, you know, really swung it well. Um, so, Another good match up here. Um, I, you know, it's it's really oversimplifying it. I would say, but the the team that gets the guy on the mound who's able to slow down the other team's offense most effectively is early in the game is is probably going to be who we're looking at here. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point that you know these one of these teams, probably both of these teams, are going to sell out to win game one because again, like it means an awful lot to to win. So like I think that you're not going to see Stanford holding Quinn Matthews unless they have, you know, a substantial lead. I think you'll see Hagen Smith if, if Arkansas doesn't have a substantial lead or, or, you know, is substantially behind. Like, I, I just think that both of these teams are going to go for it. They're going to hope that their starter gives them length and, and is, is pitching well, but like, I, I fully expect to see those, those lefties come out of the pen tomorrow and not, not sit around and, and wait for game two. Um, you know, the, the teams have changed massively since they played back in February. Um, I, I don't think that that really means a whole lot of anything, but I, I do think that probably gives Stanford some confidence. I don't know that they need it. They are the highest seeded team in the field, but uh, they're certainly going to feel like they have uh, have the ability to go out and, and win, having already been this team. And, and on the flip side, maybe Arkansas is feeling a little bit like they uh, they have to go out and, and prove something and they have a, a revenge spot here. I, I don't know how much that plays this time of year. All of these teams are very motivated, but uh, that that is a, a little bit of an interesting undercurrent to this game. Certainly be a different uh, meteorological situation. You may recall uh, when they played in, I guess that was February, it was, as Dave Van Horn reminded us today, uh, 35 degrees in round rock. And I actually remember listening to that game on the radio and I forget which teams maybe it was one of the earlier, maybe I think it may have been the, the raging Cajuns radio guy. Cause they were also in that, in that field, like in a, in a, in a game earlier in that tournament that, you know, they were, you know, had a heater under their radio desk and they were like putting their, you know, sitting on their hands cause they were that cold. So certainly uh, if you've looked at the forecast for Omaha this week, it will certainly be a different meteorological situation this time around. If you if you have a heater in the dugout or or in the radio booth this weekend, I think uh, I think we can call someone to maybe institutionalize you, or at least like have your have have a doctor like check out whatever whatever mm-hmm. is going on because uh, you you do not need a heater here in Omaha. That that is for sure. And yet, I will probably break out my uh, lightweight hoodie in the press box. One hundred percent. That's a uh, that's a separate issue. It's uh, it gets pretty <laughs> chilly up there. They, uh, they run the AC very hard. It is the definition of first world problems for us. Uh, but the, the difference between the press box temperature and the outside temperature is uh, massive, massive. Um, I don't mind. Like, I'd rather have the AC than not, though. So not, not, not here to complain about that one. 
All right, let's uh, go to the nightcap. That is at seven o'clock Eastern. It'll be Ole Miss and Auburn. Joe, do these teams have any history? Oh, probably so. Uh, full disclosure: I just uh, took a bite of guacamole, so my <laughs> mouth is. Joe thought Joe thought he had sixty seconds at least uh, yeah. as I as I introduced this, and I uh, he did not. So two SEC West teams going at it, and. That was one thing that I guess was kind of missing from our discussion about how SEC heavy this is, because we kind of just swerved into how mid-majors don't make it to Omaha anymore. There are four teams from the SEC here. They are all from the West. So those teams know each other plenty. They all played each other this year uh, plenty. And, you know, in, in this case, you have Ole Miss taking on Auburn. They met on the first weekend of SEC play uh, on the Plains. Ole Miss won that series. At the time, they won two out of three. It was kind of a back-and-forth series. And at the time, I took that as a, like, are these all of this really as good as we thought they were kind of thing? And now, I mean, you just have to realize, like, Auburn is is a very, very good team. Like, it doesn't really matter that they lost to Middle Tennessee State in a series the weekend before. Um, Auburn went on to to have a, a very strong season and they hosted for the first time in more than a decade. So uh, plenty good. Uh, obviously they're led by Sonny Deshara, uh, one of the, the top sluggers in the country. Ole Miss coming in, having pitched exceptionally well in super regionals as we've alluded to. And, um, you know, they've uh, certainly got the offense to, to keep up with anyone. Uh, so I, I think this is a, a pretty intriguing matchup here on uh on saturday night yeah i think on the bigger sec west thing i think it i think it does kind of show that you know we talked about this before like the, the whole idea of iron sharpening iron i think that it's if you look at the sec the sec in general um you know all of those teams for the most part you could pick out a couple of exceptions um all those teams for the most part have the talent to get to omaha if things happen right right they get hot at the right time. They avoid injuries. They get a breakout year from this player or that player. Like for the most part, most SEC teams, with just a couple of exceptions, in a given year have the talent to get to this stage. So I think that's that's definitely part of it. I just think it's also that in a year when we really struggled outside of Tennessee to kind of think of like who's who's good, like who do we really believe in? Like that was a conversation all year, not just with you and I on this podcast, but every press box I was in all season was people saying like, yeah, it just feels like there aren't any great teams other than Tennessee. And in a year like that, I think talent rises to the top, like talent kind of bails you out. Um, talent can patch over holes like talent. It can be lottery tickets, right? You throw a kid on the mound who hasn't pitched in a while or whatever else. And he comes to it a big spot because, well, this guy was a big recruit and the ad hasn't worked out here, but you know, he pitched, he came up big for us in this moment, like that, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's kind of what you end up with here is in this year when it's like, there was really nobody that you could bet on getting to the stage. The teams that just had that raw talent sitting around are the teams that kind of did it. And that, that's not to take anything away from them. I just think that's kind of what we ended up with here. So that's, I think it's part of what goes into that. And, and these two, Ole Miss and Auburn, pardon me, Old Miss and Auburn. Auburnsaw. Arbansaw. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's actually the area of Nomaha. I'm staying in Arbansaw Village. Um, that's a joke for people who know a little about the area of, of Omaha. Um, similar in that, you know, they, they both really went through some stuff on the mound. I mean, Auburn had that one, I, I kind of keep going back to it. And it's actually, I'm probably making a bigger deal of it than should be. 
but like they had the one weekend where hey, I think it was the Tennessee weekend, right? Where Hayden Mullins gets injured and Blake Burkhalter kind of looks like he's tweaked something. And it turns out Burkhalter wasn't out that long and it was, it was fine, but you know, they lose Mullins and Burkhalter's maybe injured. It's like, Oh God, like what, <laughs> what are they going to do on the mound here? And like, they, they bounced back from that and they didn't have Mullins, but Burkhalter returned and they found some pieces and, and the rest is history. And then of course we've, we've detailed, Ole Miss's transformation on the mound. So these two, if we're, if we're drawing the similarities between all these teams in the field, I mean, that's, that's part of it for here for these two teams here is that they've really done a nice job of kind of working through some stuff and figuring out a combination that works. And when you're as talented as those two teams are, when you kind of find those right combinations, it can unlock something like this. And we've seen it with their postseason runs. So we can get back to this game in a second, but a lot of people I've heard a lot that like there's this narrative that the sec was down this year and like people are very upset about that her fans have been very upset about that through the last two weeks did we talk about that like where is that coming from this idea that the sec was down like i believe that it was out there in the ether but like why well i think so it definitely was a thing that was out there, but I think it just kind of comes from the fact that we are used to, and I, I'm just kind of like spitballing this. And like, obviously I have no real, like super hard and fast hypotheses about these, about this, but I think what it, a lot of it, what it comes from is the teams that we were really pegging at the beginning of the year to be where they are now. I took really circuitous routes to get there. So we had Ole Miss ranked really high. What happened happened. We kind of gave up on them. We had Vanderbilt ranked really high. That season didn't go as well as we thought it would. And they ultimately don't get here. So we kind of like gave up on them. You know, um, there are other examples as, as, you know, Mississippi State, obviously. Like that team wasn't as good as we thought they were going to be. A lot of good reasons for that. Some reasons we didn't anticipate. We gave up on them. Arkansas, like, they're kind of the opposite where they kind of were just winning games. And we're like, is this team that good? Like they just kind of keep winning games and we're not really sure. So I think all of that kind of bled into because a, it wasn't the teams we necessarily expected. And then B um, there were teams that were kind of winning ugly and sticking around. I think the combination of those two things made for a perception that the sec was down. Whereas if you'd have presented us, I think it's just kind of a perception thing. If, if you present us obviously a year where, yeah, you're going to get, four SEC West teams in Omaha. Well, it must have been a great year in the SEC. And those are the facts. I just think it because it wasn't the teams we expected necessarily, it has taken us basically, I guess we could argue all season to really grapple with that. And instead, up until this point, we've just kind of been like, yeah, SEC must be down. If Auburn's doing this, it must mean the SEC is not very good. I think that's kind of where that has happened. I mean, I know that after the first weekend of SEC play, I wrote that like the SEC West, the balance of power had shifted, but and so clearly that was incorrect, but I didn't write that the SEC was down. I can't remember writing that. Like I, I and obviously you and I are not the tastemakers or the, the trend makers of college baseball. There are plenty of other people talking about this out there, but I, I just don't really know where that would have come from. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss for it in this SEC centric sport. Like why anybody would ever have fallen into the trap of saying that the SEC is down. I guess I, like I hate to side with, the people that are saying this but like i feels like a thing just meant to credit discredit tennessee 
that the SEC is down, that, that, that that's why they're ripping off all these wins. Like, whatever, I don't know. Anyway, that's not the point of this. Um, I think, uh, you know, in, th- in, in this actual game, I, I, I just have no idea what to expect. Like, Dylan DeLucia has pitched very well for the lat- the second throughout the whole second half of the season. Auburn on you know, in, in Corvallis got two start or two outs out of Trace Bright before they went to the bullpen. Like, I have no clue. Like, are, is this going to be a pitching game? Is this going to be an offense game? Like, is Auburn going to bullpen their way through this thing? Like, I, I have no idea how this one's going to go. And that makes it very interesting to me. Um, I, I just, I just think there's so many different ways that this could, this could take a, you know, so many paths they could take with this game. Nope. I think that's right. I mean, I think that's, uh, look, I, uh, you know, people, people get into sports for a lot of different reasons. People cover sports for a lot of different reasons. And, and for some people it's witnessing greatness and, you know, a triumph of the human spirit kind of stuff. For me, honestly, it's going to the ballpark and not having a clue what's going to happen on that given day. And like with, with that being kind of my reason for being, if you will, in, being a baseball fan, being a college baseball fan, even more than that, because the, the variance is just so high in the sport. Um, that, given that backdrop, this CWS is, I think, um, going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun because I, I just don't have any clue what's going to happen. And I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. Question on everyone's mind is, will Eli Manning be at this game? Uh, No, I'm going to say no. He doesn't strike me as like, uh, I could be wrong. I'd love to be wrong. But um. He, he doesn't strike me as, as, as guy, as a guy who's showing up at like, you know, sporting events just cause they're his, uh, his alma mater. I, I hope that like, I, I, I would love to see it. Love to see Arch, love to see Archie, you know, whoever, whoever, whatever Mannings they want to throw our way, that, that'd be cool. But I, I just really hope like Kiffin shows cause uh, that's always a fun time. Mm. Indeed. It's too bad. Tennessee couldn't be here for uh then Lane Kiffin definitely would have showed, right? <laughs> he, couldn't have, he couldn't have helped himself. <laughs> uh, so that is the, those are the first two days of this thing uh, here in Omaha. Uh, obviously from there, we'll progress with, you know, winners and losers on uh, uh, Sunday and Monday, respectively. I don't know when Joe and I are going to come back here with another edition of the podcast. Like we are going to try and go twice a week. Uh, like I keep saying that we go twice a week through the postseason. Uh, the change in format really is kind of messing with that because it used to be like, oh, well, we can just record again when we get to the one game days. Well, there are none of those. So Joe and I are going to have to huddle uh, on that and, and we'll figure out when we when we can come out with a, another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. But uh, we'll, we'll be back here at some point next week to, to talk more about the College World Series. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and then it'll pop right into your phone no matter what schedule we, uh, we end up going with here. Uh, plenty over on the website as well. That's baseballamerica.com. We're on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We're here for the next two weeks in Omaha. So, uh, Plenty of insights, I hope, to come, and uh, plenty, plenty to read over at the website as well. Uh, Joe, we have just a few more minutes here. Um, do you have an Omaha recommendation for for any folks that are are, are rolling into town here? 
Hmm. So like the obvious thing would be to go with a food recommendation. I feel like you're, uh, I was really close to my microphone there. I apologize if that was loud. Um, I will leave that to you. Um, because a you're, you're, that's more of your area of expertise. And secondly, you've done a lot more of that than, than I have. I, I do a lot more like shameful, just like getting the same salad from the same salad place for like four days in a row kind of stuff. So, um, which I'm not proud of, but it just happens. Um, so I will actually give it a little more of an offbeat recommendation. Um, there's a, there's a, an apparel shop here in town. There's two locations. One is more like downtown more is actually kind of over where I'm staying over by UNO Nebraska, Omaha, um, called made in Omaha. Um, I got a really cool, uh, pint glass from there last year that has like an etched, like, uh, Omaha landmarks design on it. So it's got the Henry Dorley zoo, the dome. Um, it's got the, 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 the Bob Carey pedestrian bridge on it. It's so it's got a couple of other Omaha things on it, but it's like an kind of an etched glass pint glass, you know, those kinds that are like in the shape of a beer can kind of type. Um, they had other designs. They were really great. They've got Omaha apparel. I got a great shirt from there last year that said Omaha, Nebraska, like home, you know, home of baseball. And it was the diagram of, they, it couldn't say TD Ameritrade park, which is what it was called at the time for you know, copyright reasons, but that's clearly what it was. They just have kind of like different Omaha centric apparel and drinkware and glassware. And they've got some like local food options there. They sell, it's kind of a general store type of deal. Um, I think it's a kind of a cool little store. It's, it's, if you're into like the whole shop local thing, it is very local. Um, obviously, um, so that's my recommendation. It's called Made in Omaha. Like I said, two locations, one closer to downtown, uh, one more a little bit further out west. Uh, I recommend it. Cool, cool stuff there, kind of offbeat stuff, especially if you're here with your family. And like, you know, yes, you want the CWS Omaha shirts you get like at the stadium. But if you also want kind of a little different memento for maybe the people who aren't as baseball centric in your life that have have uh, dutifully come along with you to the College World Series, perhaps uh, that might be a good place to find something for them. So made in Omaha. That's a good one. That's uh, that's definitely not one you hear very often. So uh, that that is uh, that is appreciated. I'm going to play the hits. Um, my standard recommendations for anyone coming to Omaha are, in terms of food, are Kitchen Table and Block 16. They're both downtown. Uh, they're both just a little uh, weird is the wrong word, but like you might consider them a little weird. They're, they're a touch more on the, the hipster side of things, I suppose, if we're still using that phrase. Great food. Uh, definitely can't go wrong with that. If you want steak, there are a million steak houses. I am like definitely not the person to advise on steak. Everyone will tell you go to the Drover and like, I'm sure I will go to the Drover at some point this year. And it's everything you would want an old school Omaha steakhouse to be. But you also like don't have to go out that way. Like it's not downtown. If you're staying downtown, if you don't have a car, whatever, there are plenty of steakhouses downtown, Chop House, Monarch. Uh, there's one in the Marriott whose name I can't remember, probably because I actually haven't been to that one. Uh, but don't feel like you're, that you, the experience at the Drover is, is like the classic College World Series, classic Omaha experience. Uh, but if you can't get out there, don't feel like you can't get a good steak. It is Omaha. There are plenty of places to do it. Uh, I think Monarch is a great spot. It is a little more on the upscale side. But uh, I, would, I would probably endorse Monarch uh, from, from that standpoint. 
so yeah, that's uh, that's our brief Omaha guide. Hopefully you're enjoying it, uh, whether you're here or you're watching on TV and hearing all of those great ESPN drops uh, with the music. Uh, and uh, again, we're, we're excited about it. We're here for two weeks. We'll be back here with more on the Baseball America College podcast on the website, on Twitter, on, on all the rest of it. So uh, enjoy. This is, uh, this is a great time of year as uh, we, we approach uh, the crowning of a national champion and a dog pile uh, at Charles Schwab Field uh, over the next two weeks. Uh, so come along for the ride and uh, hopefully it'll, we'll, we'll get a great tournament here in Omaha this year. For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.